Okay, so we're going to begin uh, looking at uh, 2 Samuel. Actually, we're going to go back into 1 Samuel and look at um, the question of uh, mediums. And we're in 1 Samuel, I believe it's 28. Let me be sure before I make it up. Yes, 28. Um, And so the question is, why did Saul... um, need a medium. Because he wasn't getting an answer. Now, um, I think I'm going to use this well, point. Yeah. Probably. But it's... Um, it seems to me that God answers yes, no. I also know he gave David, um, do as your heart desires. So if you want to, go ahead. Um, I heard somebody say when I was in college, um, a friend of mine was praying for a job. And he was asking which job he should take. Should he go here or should I forget what jobs they were. And um, a mature pastor at the time said to us both, I don't think God cares which job you take. He'll be with you wherever you go. And I thought, now there's wisdom in that. And I think that's what he said to David when he said, do as your heart desires. I'm going to be with you. I'm going with you. Just I'll follow you in terms of your lead. And then I think what... Saul experienced is silence. And look at, let me find my note. I don't have, yeah. 1 Samuel 8, 18. And this was predicted when the people asked for a king. So back in 8, 18, um, Oh, I'm not going to start reading in verse 10, but in verse 10, he's going to take your sons, he's going to take your chariots, he's going to take your, make you commanders, you're going to have to plow his fields. He goes down this long list. And he gets to 818, and he's going to take a tenth of your flocks in 17, and 18 says, and you will cry out that day because of your king, but the Lord will not answer you. So it's as if Saul has come to that time and he's not getting an answer. Um, And so he goes to the medium because of what Fred said, I think. um, He was having a panic attack. And I think he was in the elevator and his chest was hurting. Um, And so he didn't know what to do. And so he knew Samuel could help him. And so he goes to this um, medium... Um, at that point, looking for some kind of answer or some kind of a solution. So what does a medium do? Um, Look at, um, we got another example. Uh, She's not called a medium. In Acts 16, in Acts 16, and this starts in verse 16, 
It happened as um, the apostles were going from place to place. Uh, they came to a place of prayer, and there was a slave girl who had a spirit of divination who was bringing her masters a whole lot of money for fortune-telling. So the people that owned the slave girl were charging for the information, and she brought the answer to them. Following after Paul, she kept yelling out, um, these men are bondservants of the Most High God, proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Paul, uh, I love this, Paul was greatly annoyed. It was driving him crazy. Um, he couldn't finish a sermon. It was interrupting him. He was, so what does he do? He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he, um, he brought the spirit of divination out of her. So she couldn't do what she'd been doing anymore. So the men who owned this young woman got ticked. They went to the authorities. I mean, they lost their source of money. I mean, so here is a somebody um, who has provides access to the spirit world and bring mes brings messages back from the spirit world. Comes, I ask, they come back and tell me something. So I asked Paula to come talk to us about Delphi. Um, Delphi is a city in Greece um, where there was um, a very famous, at least at that point in time, um, medium prophetess, um, oracle, that's what they called her. And so, Paula? I do? I'm ready when you are. Uh, now, Terry asked me to talk about Delphi, and you're saying, why, why Greece? Well, Greece was very influential in the area, uh, no matter where you're talking about, down in, in the Israeli area or not. They were very influential. Um, Delphi, the oracle at Delphi, dates from around the 14th century mm -hmm. BC. Uh, we looked up Saul, and he dates around 11th century. So, so you've had, you know, several years of going to oracles before Saul ever came on. And it's very common in the ancient world to go to an oracle to find the answer. And um, I guess he wanted me to explain to you how important it was in the ancient world. Um, as you can see, this is a rendering of Delphi. This is the main temple, Apollo. There's a, a theater there. These are government buildings. These are all treasuries. This is where all the money of Greece was stored in the ancient world. They would bring it here and then it would act like a bank. It's kind of like um, New York City and Washington come together for the ancient time. And to tell you how important it was to them, this city is built on a mountain that's 1,500 feet. Is that right? No, higher, it's... 1,500 yeah, feet higher yes. than Mount Lacoste. Okay? And it's really hard to get to. And if you go up there, you can imagine, I mean, they got to carry all this material up the mountain. Can you imagine going up Mount Lacroix with a, with a uh, you know, a column on your back? I mean, you got to really be serious about this. And then you say, well, why would they do this? Well, um, back in ancient times, the Oracle of Delphi lived underneath the Temple of Apollo right here. And the reason she lived there was because there were, um, openings in the ground, evidently there was volcanic area, and this sulfuric acid or sulfuric fumes of fumes or something would come up from the from below the ground, and she would go down in a chamber underneath there, and you can go see it today, and she would sniff the fumes, and then she would come up and tell the priest of the temple what she divined. Now guess who has the power? <coughs> the priest, because she's down there. I don't think the oracles lasted a long time. 
if you if you live down there, sniff fumes and come up, and you're so, I guess they were drunk from the fumes of their. I guess. Mm -hmm. And she would say weird things, and then the priest would say, "Okay, this is what she meant." And then famous people from all, all the leaders from all the world would come and ask her what to do. Uh, there was a famous uh, general, and I don't remember his name. I can't remember his name. <laughs> he was over uh, the city of Athens, and the Assyrians, I believe, was it the Assyrians? Persians. Persians mm -hmm. were knocking at their door, and they knew that they were going to be destroyed because the Persians had a huge army, and the people of Athens didn't feel like they could defend themselves. So the, the general of Athens went and made this long journey. Now, this, this takes you two or three hours by car mm -hmm. to get there. So you can imagine what kind of journey this was from Athens to Delphi. So he makes this journey to Delphi to seek the, the wisdom of the oracle. And she comes up and she tells him that you will be saved by your wooden walls. And the general's kind of going, oh, that's really helpful because Athens has no wood. If you've ever been in Greece, they have no trees hardly. And there's no wooden walls in Athens. And he goes back and he's thinking, we're, we're doomed. And he stands in Athens somewhere, he looks over the city and he says, I know what she means. We need to go in our ships, our wooden ships, and we need to go off to this island and abandon the city so we can save the people. And when the Persians come in and destroy the city, which they did, we can come back to the city and rebuild it. And that's what happened. Right. They all went in ships and they went to an island off of the coast of Greece and they waited till the Persians destroyed the city and then they came back. So this gave credence to oracles in ancient times. And if you remember, I mean, it goes for thousands of years, but even when you get into modern times, I mean, even Michelangelo put oracles or sibyls, sibyls. in the Sistine Chapel on the corners. Do you remember seeing the Sistine Chapel? Well, they're, they're still very important, even up until Renaissance times. Mm -hmm. People still believe that. But anyway, you want to show the rest of I do. And then we'll, this is, this is what's left. And you can see how high up it is. Um, Same view. Part of the Thalos mm -hmm. temple there. And uh, that's one of the treasuries. That's where they all kept their money. Um, and this is, I don't, see if you can see the, the height here. It is just, if you ever go to Greece, this is where you want to go. This is one of the most magnificent sites in ancient, all of ancient, because you are so high up. And you can even see the Gulf of Corinth mm -hmm. from up here, and it is a long way away. Uh, and it's cold up there when it's hot down down below. But anyway, this is what's left of the ancient site. This is the, I think this is the Temple of Delphi's foundation. And this is a theater because it was a thriving city and they would have plays and people would come there and pay money to hear see the oracle and put their money in the bank. And uh, the coolest thing about this, even up above this, if you, if you really travel way up on the top of the mountain, there's a sports arena, just like Nissan Stadium or whatever it is now. And on the outside of it, it has in the stone, it says, you can't take your wine out of the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> so they were just like us. So they were partying, and this is where they lived. But they had a whole lot of faith in the Oracle. Yeah, they won't let you bring it in. Yeah, there you go. Well, evidently, if you were drinking in the stadium, you didn't want to get in your chariot and go home. Let's see if I got That's all I got. Um, oh, I was going to say uh, treasuries. Let me go back to treasuries um, quick. So these treasuries, um, we have a story in the Bible not dissimilar from that for when the Ark of the Covenant went to, um, uh, they didn't get back to Hebron or any of the right locations. 
the, the place was blessed. So that was the thought here. The thought here was put your money where Apollo is, put your money where the, the, the temples are. Um, not only is it safekeeping, but it's a place of blessing um, was also part of this. Um, anyway, uh, questions, yeah? Uh, I'm just thinking there was an article Weeks ago, about a, a, a dig in Gath, and they found a, a, a cemetery and the, and, and the Philistines, and they had it kind of backed up some of the, some of the theories about where the Philistines came from, which is that they had sort of an Aegean Greek origin. Oh yeah. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, you know, they came from. I think one of them said they may have come from Crete, but that they relocated in that area. And. Brought these practices with them. I mean, yeah, that's very possible because they were. I mean, the, what I've read is they were uh, sea traders. They were, so they probably had routes all over the place if they came down from there. So you are archaeology buff that you. Oh, I, it, was, it was just interesting. The art, I saw yeah. the article that came out. That's cool. That's all right. <laughs> Other questions about Delphi, about uh, the history. Um, I'll tell one story that I like. This same general that um, saved the people of Athens but lost the city was put on trial after that for, um, uh, for losing the city. And they put him on trial in the, I don't know who, the Senate. Um, the way they voted was they had these um, kind of half bowls with stems on them, and it was called an ostraca. Where they voted was they broke the stem off and they wrote the name of the person on the bottom and threw it in a box and they counted up how many people voted against him and then they ostracized him like the ostraca. They sent him away. He was for saving the people but losing the city, lost his job. And um, there's a cool uh, museum there at the bottom of the, of the hill from the Parthenon there that shows the the, uh, the bottoms of, the, of this ostraca, and it's the same handwriting. He was driven off. One person was filling out multiple votes against this guy, and, uh, and uh, they got rid of him. So he got ostracized because he didn't, sta didn't stand and fight, even though he saved all the people, um, thanks to the Oracle of Delphi. Yeah, I think it was the first Uber city. Yeah, I think it was the first Uber city. So everyone pitched in. I think it was good. Yeah, I have no idea. You're right. I mean, they moved the people. Just getting things out. Yeah. Um, you know, part of this all goes back to Saul's the flaw of his character. Mm -hmm. Is when Samuel came to him after the incident with the Amalekites. He says, God has rejected you, and he's torn the kingdom away from you. Now, Samuel was the one that anointed him. And Samuel told him now it's taken away from you. Mm -hmm. But Saul and his the cloudiness of his own mind and now his status is becoming entrapped, if you will, with the accoutrements of being a king. 
has refused to admit it to himself. Yeah. So it takes 15 or 17 or whatever years it is for him to finally get to the point where he's, he dies in service to get him out of office, mm -hmm. to get rid of him. It's like a federal judge. You've got to die before. <laughs> <laughs> and there's an irony in the writer's, I think, point oh, of view yeah. is that he lost the kingdom for not, um, for not killing the Amalekite king and saving all the this, this well, stuff. And it's an Amalekite who will kill him. I mean, there's this, there's, I'm, I'm sure. tries to take credit for it takes credit for it, yeah, at least picks up the stuff and runs back and <laughs> hopes to get paid for it. So, um, but there is, the, the, I think the writer deliberately makes that irony connection there. Um, back to you, are there mediums today? Growing up in a small town in Alabama, there was a, a lady that lived about 10 miles outside of town between Talladega and Ashland, Alabama, and her name was Madame Teal. Now, she was not a gypsy. She was just an ordinary Anglo person back in those days. But she read tea leaves. Really? So they said. I never went to her. <laughs> good. Let me write that down. Write that down. Yeah. I did not go to that. <laughs> 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 oh, only you oh, could man. say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That they have access to a spirit world. Um, yeah, so I have, um, here's the thing about our, our um, oracle, our medium in the book of Samuel is, she brings Samuel back. I mean, she's not blowing smoke and mirrors. He, the man shows up and then she realizes what's going on. So it's, um, there, I, I, she was shocked, yeah. So, so maybe, she, yeah. That's a good point. Maybe she was shocked that this really happened and she's entered something she didn't know she was getting into. But um, she, she realized who Saul was about that time. She realized that this is Samuel. And she, I think she's going, good Lord, what, am I, what have I done? And I want, I'm drawing you back to Deuteronomy 13 because there's a test for a prophet. Actually, there's two tests for a prophet. And one of those tests is it happens. If the, if the prophet says such and such is going to happen and it happens, they've passed the first part of the test. She has passed the first part of this test. And then I have a thought and so um, I, that I want to see what you think. It seems to me that the way the process works is, and I'm going to use Samuel um, as my um, person. A prophet, um, an oracle, a seer, a medium um, approaches God who responds to the person who tells the king. It seems that's the way it works, or it's supposed to work, um, so that uh, the medium in this case brings Samuel back, but... Um, Let's take um, Balaam, 
Remember Balaam and the donkey? Um, Balak, the king, has asked Balaam to come um, to um, bring a curse on the Israelites. And he says, let me go to God. And he comes back and he pronounces a blessing on them, which makes Balak very upset. And Balaam's answer is, I can only tell you what I was told. I can't go beyond that. And so he says, okay, so maybe they're not people of the valley. Let's go up on the mountain. And he does it again, and you know the process as he goes through that. Now, Balaam is not a good guy in the Bible. So it's not like he has favor, but the process seems to be, I will go to God, but I will only bring back what I have heard or been told to bring back to you, and I will report that to you, um, um, so the king. So when Samuel shows up in our situation in 1 Samuel 28, Samuel fits this model in that he says, um, if God has torn himself away from you, yeah, verse 15, 1 Samuel 28, verse 15, Samuel says to Saul, why have you brought me back? I am, Saul says, I am, I am greatly distressed. God has departed from me, so therefore I have called you. So then Samuel goes back and says, um, so why are you asking me? If God's not there for me to go to, I can't help you. If he has pulled himself away from you, if he is not answering your prayers, if he has departed you, um, what do you want from me? What do you want me to say to you? I can't go beyond what I have been told. Um, and so Samuel's answer is, I, look, I'm, I'm useless to you uh, because God has chosen to be silent and to withdraw himself from you. All right, let me pause. Thoughts? Comments? So I have a question. Um, Lynn Mott and others are in this prayer ministry in which we go to them and say, would you pray on our behalf? Have we left a step out? If God tells Lynn something, shouldn't she tell me? Is there a missing step in intercessory prayer? Because I ask you all to pray for me, but I never hear back. Now maybe that says something, no, never mind, I don't want to do the parallel. Um, is there another step to intercessory prayer? I got an email this week from the elders saying, you're on the list for Wednesday night. Are there any prayer needs? Um, is there a here's what I heard step to intercessory prayer? I've never heard that either. Um, I have never heard him talk to me. I've heard him talk to me about you, but uh, no, that's, that's not true. That's not true. It's not true. I think there's an element of we see uh, some people as having a gift of words. Uh, in this week's lessons, you've got, uh, you know, uh, David composes a song 
mm-hmm. with Saul and Jonathan. <coughs> David composes long, beautiful prayers. Uh, there's a power in words. And I, if you heard Lynn pray this morning, I want someone that eloquent and that sincere to pray for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, you've, you've seen it. You've had people get up after a sermon and destroy a sermon by saying something that wasn't appropriate or just wasn't on the subject. Versus you've had uh, Randy Lowry, for instance, possesses a gift beyond which I've rarely seen. He can get up after a speaker has spoken and summarize and encapsulate what the person said better than the person said. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a that's part of it, is that I, I, I want people who are on their knees a lot who have a gift of words yeah. praying on my behalf. Yeah, and I want people with wisdom. Like the guy who said, I don't think he really cares which job you take. He'll always be with you. I mean, that was like wake up. It was like, well, of course. You know, he's promised to stay with us. Paul? Isn't our intercession uh, to God through Jesus Christ? It is. And uh, is that what you have missing in that step? Uh, it is, uh, yeah, and if we get put Jesus in there, he, uh, we are missing that step. I'm, I'm using Samuel's story, and but so. he is our intercession, so we have an intercession to God, and God, I don't know how he answers Christ, well, answers prayers through Christ or not, but at least we have that medium to go to God. Yeah, Hebrews tells us um, with great assurance that we have direct access. We get to go. I mean... It's been cleared out. It's been torn down. They, got, they have lots of pictures, but it's, we have direct access because Jesus has cleared the way, because he's made that available to us. So, so we're in a special place. You're right. I mean, it's a, a special prayer relationship um, that we have today. All right, I'm watching my time here. Um, Okay, so here's the second criteria that I want to hit. I don't think that second criteria has gone away for a prophet. Um, if criteria one is it happens, criteria two is, um, in the book of Deuteronomy, that it doesn't lead you away from God. Even if it's true, even if you can work magic, even if you can work uh, deeds of power, um, if it leads you away from God, and that's the Deuteronomy criteria, then don't listen to them. They're a false prophet. They're, there's kind of our list. I don't think that criteria has gone away. If you look at the book of Galatians, um, Paul warns very clearly if someone preaches you a gospel different than the ones we've taught, if somebody's added something to it, taken some away from it, don't listen. Is stronger than that, actually. He says, don't listen. We have at the end of the book of Revelation that says, don't add anything to this, don't take anything away from it. There's a second criteria there. Second Corinthians has one that I won't be able to find right away that says, um, don't add anything to what has been written. So there's this um, warning. You can only say what God has told you to say. You can't go beyond. You can't uh, become like Delphi. The, the priests can't be the source of interpretation. We're listening to God. Um, in that relationship. Let me stop. Thoughts? It's a little bit of that connotation around look at the fruit, you know. Yeah. I use that sometimes when people, it's like, look, examine their fruit. Is it 
Yeah, does it result in love? Does it result, yeah, that's right. Other thoughts? Okay, so, 2 Samuel, with seven minutes. Um, all right, news comes to David that Saul and Jonathan are dead. We've talked about the irony. And there's the lament that um, Hilton mentioned in 2 Samuel, which starts in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 17. Um, And he laments their death. He laments their loss. Um, He says to the, um, in verse 19, 20, 21, he says, uh, don't let the, the, this, don't let the Philistines gloat, is really what he's saying here. He says, don't let it, Uh, Don't let the daughters of the Philistines rejoice over the death of these two. Don't let them gloat over this. And he goes on and says, For these were mighty men, their shield was mighty, they were beloved in their life. Um, So he, he gives this lament of the loss of two men anointed by God. That's David's phrase. I will not kill the one who was anointed by God. And he kills the people who do remember, um, throughout. So David then becomes, in chapter 2, um, he becomes king over Judah. And the first thing he does is inquire of God. First thing he does is he goes to God and prays. He sets up a, a base in Hebron. Um, at the time, it was a large city in the region. It was a city of refuge. Uh, and what I read was the a hypothesis that there were going to be some people who um, thought David was a murderer because Saul was dead, Jonathan was dead. He was, um, there was probably a conspiracy theory running around. So, so David set up Hebron as a refuge city, uh, went to Re- Hebron because it was a city of refuge. It was a city of priests. Um, there are probably a number of reasons. And then David reaches out to um, the, the soldiers of Jabesh Gilead. Let me find my <coughs> two five. Yes, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead. Now, why were they important? What did they do? They buried Saul and Jonathan. Once they heard, they went to get them so that they could not be disgraced. Um, you know, the practice, they stick heads out, they put hands out, they did terrible things to show that they were victors. Scott McDowell was here last week and pointed out to me after the lesson, I, I forgot, didn't mention, Javis Gilead remembered the kindness and the bravery of Saul because he rescued them from the Ammonites because they were going to gouge out their eyes. That's right. So they and they had, called they to him. Yeah. Saul's bravery to them by going and rescuing his body and getting him a decent burial. That's right. Remember that story? They were, um, they were surrounded. They sent a message to them, give up. Um, and uh, he sent a message. To, they sent a message to Saul. And they said, give me 24 hours. Saul comes in, saves the day. Uh, that's right. Uh, that's good. And then... Um, So Ish-bosheth, I won't, probably don't say that correctly, um, who is a son of Saul, um, becomes the center of the 
kingdom in Israel, David in Judah. Uh, Abner is supporting Saul's son um, during this time until an event, and I'm going to scoot over to um, chapter 3 of 2 Samuel. And Abner, um, I'm in chapter 3, verse 6 and down. Abner is very powerful. Some people think uh, Abner is accused of having relationships with one of Saul's concubines, Rizpah, a daughter of Ea. Um, and the question is, did he? Um, which means he was arrogant and thought he had the same rights as a king. Or did he not? And they were, everybody was suspicious of him. Either way, um, Abner decided at that point, I've had it. I'm going to David. And so David goes to see, I mean, Abner goes to see David. At verse 20, he takes 20 men with him, which is probably wise. Uh, at the time, knowing that the relations between them is one of war. Um, and he reaches out, to, um, reaches out to David and says, let's put our, put our kingdoms together. I have the power. In fact, the phrase that's used about Abner is, I will go to the people on your behalf, and we will put these kingdoms um, together. Steve. Well, what you're looking at is a master politician. Absolutely. David has to get rid of these. Somehow or another, these three people need to be eliminated somewhere or another because they're competition. So somebody kills them, or David kills the people that killed them, he could look at the, to all the other tribes and say, I had nothing to do with this. Uh, so, you know, if they're going to join up with him, he's got to deny all this. Now, I, I, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so let's paint that story even better. Um, Abner comes, David says, great, we shake hands, we're going to make peace, we're going to do this. Abner leaves, and what happens to Abner? Joab kills him. And so David uh, makes a very big public display of mourning Abner's death. Again, saying just what you're saying, I didn't do this, um, I, I'm mourning for Abner. I want you to show, I want to show the world um, to, br to bring these together. Um, he was a master politician, both of them were, um, to build a kingdom that David will then rule over um, as a whole. All right, strong, we've talked about Rizpah, Abner reaches out, that's all the notes I got. All right, final comments or questions? All right, quick prayer, Lord God Almighty. We come to you and we ask you to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to you that we may hear your word, follow you, and serve you. And we pray through Jesus. Amen. Thank you.